great to have you here. Welcome everybody that's watching online as well. My name is James, and I'm excited to be here to preach to you, uh, and we're going to see God do amazing things. I just want to reiterate something that we said on news. Next week, Pastor Leonie Smith is going to be here. Her husband, uh, Pastor Neil Smith, is on our global oversight, and we are doing just two services next week. Because, our, because of the Women's Conference on Saturday, we're not going to have Kids Church in here. Kids Church is going to be up the hallway as well. So for all the parents, you can check your kids in up the hallway, and it's going to give us more room in the afternoon. We have to have two services in the afternoon because we, we run out of space, and so we'll be able to squeeze everyone in for one service next uh, Sunday afternoon. Well, last week, we started a series called Treasures of the Heart. And it's a finance series that uh, we kind of look at finance in our church probably about once a year. We're not afraid to talk about money. We're not afraid to talk about finance. But I just figured instead of trying to talk about it 10 minutes every single week and give more ammunition to hurt people, angry people, they don't like the church because the church just wants your money. That's all they talk about is your money, your money, your money. Well, what we do is once a year... Uh, we talk about money, talk about God's view on money, uh, how we should steward it, uh, give biblical examples, give good theology about it, uh, and we talk about it in depth for you know a few weeks because uh, we really want people to understand what it means to steward our money well. Uh, we talked last week from a great scripture, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is preaching, and he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Ready? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So last week, we kind of talked about how it doesn't matter what order it happens, what the reality is, is that wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to be. Wherever your heart is, your treasure is going to be. And God does not need our money, but God wants our hearts. And so we talked about tithing last week and how tithing isn't even just a 10%, but giving the first 10, the first 10th percent so that God can bless the rest of the 90. And so this week, I want to take the next step in our journey on talking about this. And I want to talk about how we deal with the rest, the 90%. The title of my message is, How Are You Spending It? How are you spending it? My second daughter, her name is Sienna, and she is a little leader. Uh, she's incredible. She's a little world changer. She's so aggressive and animated. Uh, she's dramatic and she gets it all from her mother. She's animated and dramatic and aggressive and lovely. And at, for some reason, already at seven years old, she's got, she's got the sniff of money. You know what I'm saying? Like, she knows what money is. She has no concept of the value of money yet, but she knows that if I can get money, then I can get things with the money that I can get always asking me for money, always trying to get, and still no concept. Dad, can I have a million pesos? I'm like, Sienna, can I have a million pesos? Even yesterday, she comes up to me. She's like, Dad. And she gets so, she's, she's the most incredible girl. She goes, Dad, can I have 100 pesos? I went, what for, sweetie? Dad. Like she gets angry at me for inquiring. Dad, I, it's just 100 pesos. I said, just a hundred pesos. I said, when I was a kid, that could buy three meals at McDonald's. It's like, dad, I just, I just want, I want, I said, sweetheart, how are you spending it? She goes, dad, I just want a mango smoothie. I said, well, how much is a mango smoothie? She goes, well, it's 75 pesos. I said, well, why do you want a hundred? I said, what are you going to do with that other 25? I promise you, she goes, oh, fine, 75. <laughs> like, as a father, here's the thing. As a father, if my daughter said to me, hey, can I have 100 pesos? Because I want to give it to church or I want to buy something for someone. If she spends it wisely, do you know what I want to do? I want to give her more money. 
I will withhold money from my kids if I see them not spending it wisely. Now, if I withhold money from her, she can still go and get money from somewhere else, but it won't be from her father. That just answered someone's question in this room is, how come evil people can still be blessed? Just because they have money doesn't mean it came from the father. So today I want to try and hit a wide array of different topics and bring godly wisdom into how we should spend our money. In fact, as I was going through this sermon and preparing it, there was so much stuff in here. I'm going to try and race through this today that I think we're just going to make this part one and you need to come back in two weeks for part two. Is that okay? So today is part one. Everyone say today is part one. So we got to start at the beginning of this. How should we spend our money? Well, we have to realize this, that number one, it's not ours, it's God's. You know, when we talk about stewardship, stewardship is not just about money. Stewardship is about every area of our life. And it was the first assignment that God gave the human race. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them. And he said to them, this is Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and in the sea and in the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God has given everything to us to command and to be stewards over, but not just all of creation, but all the external things that come and directly affect us, like God has given us stewardship over our time, our talents, our resources, our relationships, what type of vocation we have. And when it comes to money and finances, God has given us stewardship over our money. Stewardship means we don't own it. We're just looking after it for him. And we have to understand that because if we think we own it, then it's very easy to start serving it. And Jesus told us when we read this last week, you cannot serve money and God, Matthew 6, 24. For those that forget, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other or you'd be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you serve money, then you ain't going to be able to serve God. I want to ask you today the question, are you serving money? Now, many of you will go, no, no, of course not. The Bible says not to. Of course I wouldn't serve money. But what drives you in life? Is it to make money or is it to serve the Lord? What's your motivation when you go to work? Is it to make money, to make money so I can do this and buy this and do that? Or, or is it to actually be salt and light in the workplace? What controls your decisions? Are you controlled by your finances or are you controlled by God's word and his will for our lives? If you serve money, I promise you, you will begin to feel like a mouse in a mouse wheel, just going around and around and around and around, running the same race, feeling like you will never get anywhere. God gave us dominion over the earth, and we must understand this. Not only should we not serve money, but I believe money should serve us. And it's easier to get this concept of revelation when we understand that money isn't ours. It's God's gift to us. He owns it, and we're just stewarding it for it. Just like my children. I don't own my children. I tell them that I created them. Yes, God was involved, but so was I. Yes, their mother had a bit to do with it, but if it wasn't for the father. <laughs> well, young baby, huh? So I'm involved in it, right? And I tell my children that I've created them all the time. I remind them, I am your creator, right? Like I remind them. But here's the thing, I don't own my children. I don't, I don't. Oh, we'll talk about that at the end of this sermon. I don't own them. You know what I am? I'm a steward of them. It's my job to love them, to raise them, to put godly values, to try and help them become a good person in society so that when they're an adult and they start making their own decisions, they can go off and I don't have to try and control and manipulate them and have a toxic relationship with them because I don't own them. I'm just a steward of them. So if we don't own money, how should we spend it? Well, I love this simple budget breakdown that a man named Pastor Paul DeYoung uh, if you've been in our church for a few years, you would have heard Pastor Paul preach a couple years ago during COVID. He did a video message for us. He's a great pastor from New Zealand and has a real anointing when it comes to talking about money and finances. And 
And he gives an example of a budget breakdown. Now, this isn't written in the word of God, black and white. And so I'm not telling you, you have to do this, but it's just an example, especially for people that are struggling with how do we spend our money? How do I break down my budget? And again, I just want to let you know, I'm not a financial advisor, uh, no financial advice being given now. I'm not telling you to put your money in stocks or crypto or anything like that. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm just a pastor. So it looks like this. It's the 10, 10, 10, 80 principle. 10, 10, 10, 80 principle. The first 10% of whatever you receive Whatever you get in your wage, even gifts, if this is a conviction that God puts on your, house, on, your, on your heart, the first 10, we should give back to God what is his, which is the tithe. That's it, the first 10. Now, some people ask questions after last week, and this is the, the biggest question that we always get when it comes to tithing. Do I tithe gross or do I tithe net? Do I tithe before tax or do I tithe after tax. Well, the old Christian saying is this, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? But I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. But this is, this is what I would say. Uh, my conviction is that I tithe before I tax my money. And why is that? And I, I know this is going to be hard for some of you to hear this in the context of the Philippines, but just stay with me. Paying tax is like paying a membership to be a part of this country, right? So I have a Netflix membership. When I pay Netflix, it gives me access to have uh, Netflix on home. I have the family membership plan. There's some random other people that have access to my Netflix as well (laughs) because of the price I pay because I'm sacrificial, like Jesus. And so I pay a price that gives me access to then, you know, be able to watch Netflix. Now, I don't look at my whole income and go, okay, I've got Netflix. uh, I've got my electricity bill. You know, I've got my gym membership. You know, I've got my gym membership here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay all those bills And then what's left over, I'm going to pay my tithe with what's left over. No, no, no. See, paying tax is your membership to being a part of the Philippines. Now, do we use that tax wisely all the time? We're not talking about that today. (laughs) I'm a foreigner still. I can be deported. (laughs) But when I do get my citizenship, we will talk more about that stuff. Paying tax is basically saying you have access. I mean, your tax, whether it's good or not, your tax pays for the roads. Your tax pays for the hospitals. Whether they're good or not, it doesn't matter. It pays for that. Your tax comes in. It helps government agencies be able to operate. It helps pay for the police and the, you know, different things. And, and I'm not asking, I'm not, this is not an opinion on, well, well, is it money well spent or not? Well, no, it's not. You can actually, if you're smart with what you do with your money, you can actually lower your tax as well. In fact, we're in the process, just for anyone that knows or cares, we're in the pro- process of applying for our PCNC accreditation for our favor care, which means that we're going to be able to have tax deductible giving here in our church locally uh, sometime in the next couple of years, which will be really, really great, and will help particularly business owners be able to lower their taxable income. And so people ask, well, should I tithe before or after? Well, your wage is what you get before you are taxed. That's your wage. And so my conviction is I tax, I tithe before I tax. So I tithe, 10, 10, 10, 80. So the first 10 is my tithe. Then I pay my tax because legally I have to do that, right? Then whatever is left over is the 10, 10, 80. So the first 10 is tithe. The second 10 is for sowing seeds and generosity. The third 10 is for saving. And the fourth 80 is for spending. So last week we talked about tithes, so I don't need to go into that. So let's jump straight into talking about sowing seeds and generosity. 
You know, generosity is one of the, the five main values that we have in our church, and it's for good reason. The Bible is very clear on generosity. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, it says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be, what? To be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's interesting that we're being commanded to be generous, and it talks about laying up treasures for the coming age. It kind of sounds like what Jesus said in Matthew 6. These are some of the wonderful blessings that actually come from being generous. Psalm chapter 112, verse 5. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Who here would like good to come to you? Okay, what's scary is not everyone put up their hand. So, I come on, I want good to come to me, right? I want good. Well, the Bible's pretty clear. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Maybe you don't have good things happening in your life. Could I encourage you? Maybe you need to be a little bit more generous. Good will come to those that are generous. This is a promise from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So now, in Proverbs 11, we're being told that by being generous, we're actually going to prosper more. That if we refresh others through our generosity, we are in fact going to be refreshed. So this means that as I am generous to others, I am going to receive blessing. I am going to receive goodness in return. But I want to tell you one more time that that blessing and that goodness might not always be a financial return. Never give to get back from God because there's a lot better things. My wife's health is is, is of more importance to me than financial blessing. My kids serving the Lord is a greater gift to me than any amount of money that would come into my life. And when we refresh others and we're generous to others, we actually get refreshed back. It's wonderful. Just in the last couple of weeks, we have a school uh, called Redemptio Christian School under our favorite care. It's a, it's a wonderful little school out in Floodway in Pasig. And because of our legacy offering and the generosity of our church, we were able to, the, for the first time, be able to buy all 160 children their own personal curriculum for school this year. And not just... That's wonderful, right? Right. Uh, you can clap. We'll, we'll announce it all at legacy offering in, in a few weeks. It'd be wonderful. But... Uh, it's beautiful. We're not just talking about photocopied pieces of paper. We're talking about a stack of books this high that have been accredited uh, by Ched, and, but they are wonderful, incredible curriculum. It's really good. And as a church, we were able to buy that for 160 kids that would never be able to go to school unless we had a school in there. This is, this is what's beautiful about that. When I saw the books and when I saw the children with their smiles, do you know how blessed I felt? Do you know how refreshed I felt? You are going to be blessed and refreshed when we show it up on the screen and we celebrate it a little bit more than just that little clap that we just did. But you're going to be refreshed. And, and you know what's amazing about it? We'll, we'll get nothing back from that. Like those kids aren't tithing. Right? We're giving generously without any expectation of anything back. But as we give, do you know how blessed we are as a church? Do you know how refreshed I feel as a Christian to see those young children have an opportunity now? Generosity is not reflected in the amount you give. It's reflected in the sacrifice that you make. Being kind to someone means that you help them. Being generous means that it costs you something to be kind. Let me just say that again. Being kind to someone means that you'll help them, but being generous means that it will cost you something to be kind to someone. I've talked about this principle before in our church. I call it shallow generosity and deep generosity. Any type of generosity is good. 
but there is shallow generosity where we usually start, but then there is deep generosity that we should aim to get to. What's the difference? Shallow generosity is giving out of the overflow of what you already have. So if I have two t-shirts and there's someone without a t-shirt, I go, hmm, I've got an extra t-shirt. I don't need it right now. I'm going to give it to you. Now that's still generous. And if you're not generous at all, if you are, are, um, uh, I'm trying to think of nice words to say here. If you are a Scrooge, if you are stingy, right? Start here. This is the place to start. Give out of your overflow. That is nice. It's generosity, but it's shallow generosity. It didn't really cost you anything because you had the overflow of it. Uh, You know what deep generosity is? I've got one t-shirt on and they don't have a t-shirt. So I'm going to give you my t-shirt. No, no. (laughs) Right? That's true generosity. Why? It's deep generosity because it actually costs me something. It means now I go without so that somebody else can have it. You know what true generosity does? True generosity is given without any strings attached. We have this wonderful, beautiful saying here in the Philippines. Utang nalao. Loob. Loob. Thanks for correcting me publicly. (laughs) Right? And this is, I believe, something that has become a toxic culture in our country. It's if I give to you, you owe me back. Can I just tell you that if you give, if you give with a heart of you now owe me, can I, can I just challenge you? You've given, that's good, but don't say you're generous. You can give that. You can do that if you want, but don't, don't tell me you're generous. You're not generous. Generosity is when you give with no strings attached. It's a gift that means nothing is expected back. Don't, don't lie and say it's a gift if you're expecting a return. And can I tell you, just on the other side, be careful who you receive gifts from. Not every provision is a provision from God. Sometimes it's better to go without than to put yourself under a manipulative, controlling, and toxic relationship. Right? So just don't accept gifts from anyone. Don't just give expecting something back. That's not true generosity. When it comes to sowing a seed, sowing a seed, something like our legacy offering or our building fund that we have. I want to encourage you, when you sow into legacy, when you sow into our once a year over and above offering or our building fund that we're believing for, that's got to cost you something. It's that other 10% that's there. It's not the tithe, but it's something extra. And the thing about sowing a seed is when you plant a seed, you don't see the tree straight away. Sometimes it takes years. We're going to be sowing into things in legacy offering that may take years to come to pass, but if we never plant the seed, we'll never see the tree grow. I want to encourage you, pray about our legacy offering that's coming up in November. Pray about our building fund. We don't shove it in people's faces every week, but we're going to need a lot of money to build a building in this city, and we're going to build a building that is a lighthouse that's going to prove the faithfulness of God and the, the, the provision of God is going to be amazing. You know that giving is a spiritual gift in the Bible? Romans chapter 12, verse 8. It says, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you a leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Just like encouragement, leadership, showing kindness, giving is a gift. And the Bible tells us that if you've got the gift of giving, you need to take responsibility for it. In fact, I think so many times as a church, we handle this wrong. We don't give people an opportunity to grow in the gift of giving. We give people an opportunity to grow in their leadership. We give people an opportunity to grow in the prophetic, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, come down the front and pray. But the gift of giving, because remember last week, sometimes we don't want to talk about it in church because we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. But as your pastor, I'm doing you a disservice if I'm not encouraging and fanning into flame the gift of giving. If you had the gift of giving, I want to encourage you. Give. 
Give, 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 give. Take responsibility of your gift. There are so many things to give into in our church, in life, in things around you. There are so many needs. There are so many godly things that you can give into. Take your responsibility seriously. But everything can be taken to the extreme. And I want to shine a light on something that I think we need to talk about, and it's this, is that we need to be a good steward of our generosity. You know that you can actually be a bad steward of generosity. Don't give your money away foolishly, even if it's to God or to other church members. Are we ready? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 26, it says, Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Don't risk your well-being under the pressure of being generous. And could I say a challenging statement? Don't use faith as an excuse for foolishness. Now, I don't know your situation, and if God is speaking to you, I want to challenge you to listen to God. But you will never hear me try and say manipulative things from the pulpit here. You'll never hear me try and say things that will put pressure on you. You know, I've heard so many stories of preachers that get up. You know, I was sitting there, and I felt the Lord say, empty your bank account. So I gave everything from my bank account, Right? He doesn't tell everyone he's got three other bank accounts and he only emptied one bank account. Or that he's already paid off his house and he has a full asset when it comes to his house, right? And so we hear stories and we put them straight away into our situation and we look at it through our filter and we feel the pressure and the manipulation. Oh, well, if they gave it all, then I have to give it all. And listen, we have had stories. We've had stories of people in our church empty their bank account, not because of a manipulation of a preacher, but because of God. And we've seen God bless and give back tenfold of that. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but what I'm saying is you have to be very wise about it and you have to be a good steward, even about the generosity that you give. You know, when it comes to being extraordinary givers as well, I've found, and I'm not saying this is for everything, but I have found that God usually works his way up to that. Like I found that God usually encourages you to buy someone a meal before he encourages you to buy them a house, right? Like that's just what I found. I feel like God usually takes us on the journey of growth to get to that point. We got to be wise with how we give our money to church. Just because we have legacy offering, I'm giving the balance here, doesn't mean put yourself in debt. In fact, I would say do not put yourself in debt to give to God. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. We also have to be wise in how we give to other people, especially even in church. I've actually talked to a few members of our church who, uh, because they're wealthy and because people in church can see they're wealthy, people treat them like an ATM machine. And I've actually talked to a few members in our church and given them permission from their pastor to say no to giving money to people. Acts chapter 2 tells us that everyone sold their possessions and people uh, were not in need. There was this lovely community where they all knew each other. They were all doing life together and no one went without. It was this beautiful, godly community. Unfortunately, church has become a hunting ground for evil people that are hoping to take advantage of kind Christians who are being told by their pastor to be generous. I don't know everyone in this room. In fact, by looking at this room and the amount of people and people watching online, I am sure that there are evil people in this room waiting to take advantage, waiting to do evil things. Just because it's a church doesn't mean everything is perfect in here. Why do you think we're so strict with our kids' church? Because we don't know everyone. And there could be evil people that would come and take advantage. And so even in this room, I'm sure. Now, don't look. (laughs) 
Some of y'all ladies just shifted your handbag to the other side. (laughs) Don't look, but there are some evil people. And so when someone comes to you with a story, when someone comes to you, I need money, I need this, there are some very convincing people with some convincing stories. So that's why we're pretty strong in our church even about borrowing money, about not soliciting within our connect groups and not soliciting within church. Unfortunately, we've just seen too many evil people do evil things. But we need wisdom in what to know what is a legitimate need and what is just a manipulation of the situation. In fact, you know what my personal rule is now? I don't lend people money anymore. I just give it. Now, I may in my mouth say, yeah, I'm lending it to you. But this is where I've gotten to, is that if I am lending money, I'm asking myself, am I prepared to lose whatever I'm lending? Right? And if I say yes, then I can lend it. But if I say no, I will not lend it. I will only lend what I am prepared to lose. That doesn't make me a mean person. You know what it makes me? A wise person. Sometimes we shouldn't lend money to people because we're actually doing them a disservice. If someone is bad with their money or they have a pattern of misuse and mishandling, then by us giving them money, we are just feeding the snake that in fact needs to be killed. We're feeding a snake that actually needs to be starved. Is it really love to continue to feed a dangerous addiction or is it more loving to say no? We must be wise stewards of our generosity. And can I just talk to the other side as well and talk to all those that have borrowed money and has now started ghosting the people they borrowed money from. Some of y'all just got on your phone and started sending this link, YouTube link, to some people right now. (laughs) Psalm chapter 37, verse 21, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. If you borrow and do not repay, it's not oops. You're wicked. Especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. If you borrow and do not repay and you ghost, you're wicked. Can I tell you, as someone who has lent someone money, who has ghosted me, all I want is communication, right? Just keep me updated. But I get it. Shame comes in. Oh, I feel shame because I wasn't able to pay it back and I wasn't able to do this. Okay. But if you don't communicate, you're compounding the situation and you're making it worse and worse and worse. And the person that's lent the money now is thinking thoughts in their head. Have they run away? Have they done this? Doing all that kind of stuff. Can I tell you that if you have borrowed money and you have ghosted, I want the Holy Spirit to convict you today. I love you, but gee, I want you to hear this strongly. You get on your phone straight after this service and you stop ghosting whoever you borrowed that money from and you say, here's the update and I will continue to update you. Do it. Why? Because I don't want you to be wicked. Because the wicked borrow and they do not repay. Some of y'all are happy I said that right now and you really just just send the... You send the sermon over to somebody else. I want to tell you, if you're coming to our church to try and take advantage of generous Christians in our church, I'm a pretty protective shepherd of our flock, and we'll call you out, and we'll take measures to protect the flock. Even though I want us to have a generous church, I want a soil of generosity here as well. Generosity does not mean we have to be naive. We can be wise with our generosity and not naive with our generosity. Generosity, it starts at 11%. Have deep generosity, not just shallow. Be wise with it. You know what one of the wisest things that you can do with your money is? It's to save. Save our money. Saving kind of looks like this. We save for a rainy day. We're saving for more income through investing. Or we're saving for future retirement and generations. Do you know why saving is so hard? Because it's delayed gratification. Saving money, even for adults, is like putting that marshmallow in front of that kid and saying, don't touch it now. If you wait 10 minutes, you'll get two marshmallows. And what happens? The majority of kids just take that now. Because they think, ah, why wait 10 minutes? I could have it now. Saving forces us 
to not take the marshmallow nap, but to wait. It's delayed gratification. Let's talk about saving for a rainy day. This is a, a phrase, maybe you're familiar with it or not, but essentially what it means is this, is that you're putting money aside for a future emergency that may happen. Now, some people think, well, you have no faith. Then you're, you're living in fear, thinking of something happening. No, we're living realistically. Life happens. Come on. We all got to go to a hospital at some point. There's going to be a hospital bill at some point. There's going to be something that happens that we are unaware of. It's going to be a surprise. The first time we see biblically saving for a rainy day is in Genesis 41. Joseph has a prophetic dream. Uh, Sorry, Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph interprets the dream. And the dream is there's going to be seven years of fruitfulness and then seven years of drought. And so biblically, we can see already at the sort of close to the beginning of humanity is that God was already establishing this concept of saving for a rainy day. Joseph, as he was the prime minister of Egypt, stored up seven years of fruitfulness so that when the seven years of drought came, they had enough to keep them going. Here in the Philippines, we know hospital bills are going to come for family. So can I encourage you, start putting aside money now whether it's for yourself or whether it's for your family. This is not living in fear. It's living in wisdom. Life is inevitable. Things are going to happen. And so we have to think about what's going to happen. If you have a car, you have to have enough money to pay for a crash. If you don't have enough money to pay for damaging someone else's car, you shouldn't be driving a car. It's being wise with what we have. The next saving is this, is that we need to save for more income through investment. This is how you can turn your wage into wealth, but it takes sacrifice. Rarely do people get rich from their wage. They get wealthy from taking their wage and making it work for them, but it takes sacrifice and it takes delayed gratification. Kate and I were very blessed that when we were younger, we had the opportunity um, to uh, build a house in Australia. We were both working. We had no children. It was amazing. Double income, no children. <laughs> wow. My bank account's never been so generous. And, uh, and so we, we were able to uh, build a house. And when we moved here to the Philippines, we had that house in Australia. And uh, we, we, we borrowed a whole bunch of money against that house. And what we ended up doing was we ended up purchasing a condominium that we were living in here in Mandaluyong. And I remember sitting down with Kate and I said to her, listen, I think that this is going to be a stretch, but I think we can financially afford to buy this condo because I would rather buy and spend money paying off what I own rather than what somebody else owns. And I said, but if we do this, it's going to be a stretch. There's going to be some things that we have to go without. There's going to be some things that we aren't going to be able to do. There's going to be things that we have to sacrifice for the delayed gratification of being able to have an asset that will grow, hopefully in Jesus' name, grow in value once they fix the elevators and the condo, grow in values, and and we'll be able to be something that is of value for us later on in life. Because if we don't make this sacrifice now, we'll end up spending the money, we'll go on some cool vacations, but later on when we need an asset value for whatever we're doing, it's not gonna be there. And so we decided together. Now, was it easy? No. There were some hard moments. There were some stretching moments. There was a change of lifestyle. There was a change of budget in how we spent our money, but we decided to sacrifice in the short term and save in order for that to be a blessing in the future. You know, Proverbs 13, 11, it says this, wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. I've learned the hard way. And I say this with pain. I've learned the hard way that if it sounds too good to be true, It generally is. You know, my goal for my family, and this may not be for yours, but that's okay. But for me, my goal is to create multiple income streams so that we can actually begin to be more generous with what God's given us. I don't want my my money just to sit in the bank and do nothing. In fact, I want to challenge you 
that if you don't know anything about investments, if you don't know anything about interest payments, and some of you are thinking to yourself, wow, why are we talking about this in church? Well, the reality is, is that if you can steward your money well, you'll be able to help grow the kingdom of God through your finances even more. You'll be able to do what I'm about to talk about and leave an inheritance to your children. So I want to encourage you, don't just leave your money sitting in your bank account. Make it work for you. Put it in a term deposit. Put it in some insurance. Put it in a, Now, again, I'm not a financial advisor, and I'm not promoting anyone here. Here are the seven financial advisors. In a term. No, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. I'm not getting a cut. I'm not mentioning any banks. I'm not doing that. I'm, I, it's, it's nothing uh, benefits me here. I just want to encourage you, uh, don't be naive. Actually, do some research. How can I make our money? Research, sorry, research. <laughs> How can I make my money work for me? Learn, study, make your money work for you. The last saving that we need to do is saving for future retirement and for generations to come. There might be some people in our church that when you hear me say this and you hear me talk about it, you think, I'm already too late. I've already let that ship sail and I haven't saved, I haven't put time, you know, money aside. That's okay. I understand. I'll speak to you in a moment. But I do need to preach this for everybody else that's here because there's still time to make a change. Can we discuss the elephant in the room? This is the elephant in the room in the Philippines is this. My child is my retirement fund. Elephant. I sacrificed for my child. So you owe me enough. The crazy thing is, within these statements, there's actually truth. But can I challenge you, don't let these truths to cover our laziness or our money mismanagement. Let's get into this. All right, let's talk about this. Firstly, uh, we save to leave an inheritance. This is the goal. It's both biblically and common sense, right? This is the goal. Proverbs 13, 22. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Firstly, I'm praying that the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Come on, someone say amen for that in Jesus' name. Some of y'all business owners, come on, you need to say amen to that, right? So firstly, let's just set that aside. We believe in that the sinner's wealth is going to come into the house, going to come into your family in Jesus' name. Not you, not you as a sinner, but another sinner that is going to come to you as a godly. But secondly, the Bible says a good man, it leaves an inheritance not to their children, but their grandchildren. Wow. That's not just thinking about your kids, but that's thinking about another generation coming. You want a challenge? Think about the inheritance you're leaving your grandchildren, not just your kids. An inheritance can set up a family. You know, many of the wealthy families in the Philippines, yes, there are some real generational wealth, but there are some wealthy families in the Philippines that started with one person just going out, selling shoes. One person, actually, the, the original owner of this whole building and this mall was a person that worked the streets as a child. One person that has changed the destiny of their family, the legacy of their family because they worked hard. Our biblical goal should be to leave an inheritance. So it means this, start putting aside money now for retirement. Start making good investments. Don't just YOLO your life away, but start thinking about it. If you're 20 years old in this room, you should already be thinking about your retirement fund. Do you know when I started investing into my retirement fund? When I was 14 years old and nine months. You know that? In Australia, legally, we have to put our wage, 10% of our wage into a retirement fund. Legally, we have to. I started working at a supermarket on the checkout. Beep, 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 right? right? 14 years old and nine months is when I began to actually use my retirement fund. And I didn't fully understand it. I'm like, wait, why don't I get that money now? I want that money now. I want to buy shoes now, right? But this is the whole point. Saving is delayed gratification for later. If you are retiring and you don't have the funds, and that's either because you're 
you genuinely sacrificed for your kids to give them a better life, or you were just terrible with your money, let's look at the responsibility that your family has to you. First Timothy chapter five, verse three to four. Paul's writing to Timothy. He's giving instructions to the church, and he says this. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. And then down in verse eight, he continues and he says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied their true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Okay, let's look at context. And I don't have time to get fully into the context here, but Paul is obviously writing about widows here. He's writing about widows and the idea around widows in this Jewish kind of early biblical church context is that widows couldn't take care of themselves. And in fact, if you want even more context, he kind of gives a a list of requirements for these widows if they want to be taken care of. And so he's telling the church, listen, we need to take care of widows that can't take care of themselves, but... The first people that should be doing it is the family. So at the moment in the Philippines, there's a little bit of a kickback to, you know, my children are my retirement fund. And it's a kickback from the younger people because they're sitting there going, how am I going to be able to afford to get married, to have children and take care of my parents the way they want to be taken care of? So I think it's safe to say that Paul here is talking about the elderly, those people that can't work, can't take care of themselves. And this is where we need to balance the tension, and we need to look at the two perspectives here, the parents and the kids. So let's look at the parents firstly. If you've gone to retirement age and you can't take care of yourself, you financially cannot do it, you have to retire, whether it's health, whether you can't go on, you can't get a job, this is my advice to you. Be humble. Do not command. Do not expect. Be gracious with what you receive. And fortunately or unfortunately, you will probably reap what you have sown. I have seen lazy parents who expect their children to meet their unrealistic demands and desires that they have. Can I tell you, don't be that person. If you really did sacrifice for your child, you don't need to remind them every day that you sacrificed for your child. Why? Why did you sacrifice for your child? Was it so that you could build up your own pride and your own ego or your own glory? Or was it because God gave you that child as a gift to steward and it was our responsibility to sacrifice, to provide a better life to our child than what we have? I'm telling you, if you're sitting there reminding your child about how much you sacrifice for them and you don't care how much you sacrifice, all you're doing is pushing them away. Let's look at the child's perspective now. Children, you need to create boundaries and you need to stand up against toxic manipulation. Yes, the Bible says that we must take care of our relatives. In fact, it's pretty strong, the language there, that if we don't take care of our relatives, that we have denied the true faith, right? So the Bible is saying, take care of your relatives. It is our... It is our um, We need to. It is our mandate to take care of our relatives. But taking care of our relatives doesn't mean that we accept toxic manipulation. Doesn't mean it at all. So I want to encourage you, create firm boundaries. If you're a godly parent, you should fit into the life of your child and not demand that they fit into yours and take care of you. What does that look like? Let me tell you practically. I love my parents. Uh, they're in Australia today, and uh, I'm the eldest son in my household. And so uh, maybe it was my upbringing. I lived with Chinese uh, when I was younger. So I feel like as the eldest son, it's my responsibility to take care of my parents. Uh, my parents were living in Brisbane, Australia. And because of the decisions and choices they made, when they were younger, by living in the Philippines, raising children in an international school with a bunch of third culture kids that traveled the world everywhere. Now, I live in the Philippines. My middle sister lives in Sendai in Japan. And my eldest sister, who preached here a couple months ago, lives between Perth and KL and travels the whole world. My parents were living in Brisbane. 
None of us were moving back to Brisbane to take care of my parents in their retirement. None of us. But I have told my parents that I will take care of them until the day they die. That's the responsibility. In fact, I told my two sisters as well. I said, don't worry about the parents. I'll take care of them. I will receive the largest inheritance, but I will take care. <laughs> no, 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 I won't. It will be split evenly. Uh, but but I, I'll, I'll take care of them. And so I even told my parents, listen, I'm going to take care of you. But if you want me to take care of you, you got to move to the Philippines. I'm not moving. You need to fit into my life right now. I'm not going to change everything to come and fit into yours, right? And at that moment, my parents began to cry. No. This is not an emotional story at all, but it just felt emotional. My parents broke down. Anak, we love you. Oh, our special bunso, we love you so much. Obviously, my parents don't sound like that. Uh, so if we are the children, can I tell you this? Don't, don't push back. Like, oh, I don't want to be my parents' retirement fund. No, if you're a godly child, you're not going to throw your parent out on the street at all. The Bible tells us to love for them, to care for them, but also be firm in your boundaries. And, don't, and make sure that your own children don't suffer from a toxic environment. If you don't have enough power to do it for yourself, do it for your children that are coming. Now, I know I am throwing a grenade right now that probably needs 20 years of counseling for some of you to get through. So I know I can't hit everything in one sermon. But what I'm hoping is I can at least bring up some things for you to go away and pray about. Maybe conversations need to happen. Maybe you need to look at your budget and you need to see, where am I spending my money? Am I tithing the first 10? Am I doing it before or after tax? Am I putting aside, am I actually budgeting 10% for generosity? Am I budgeting that 10% for saving? Am I budgeting in how I'm doing it? And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how we spend our money. Because in the Philippines as well, there's a massive poverty spirit here. There's a poverty spirit that has bound many people in this nation. Some people have been born into it, and they live in it without realizing it. Others have chosen to continue to live in it. Having a poverty spirit is not reflected in your bank account all the time. It's reflected in how you operate. Spirit, an orphan spirit almost. Having wealth is more about the spirit you have than the money in your account. Remember, if I have a healthy wife, and if my kids grow up to love Jesus, and they call themselves blessed by growing up in my household, can I tell you, I'm wealthier than the richest man in the Philippines. Give me a wife and children that love the Lord. Give me grandkids that would stand at my funeral and honor me as the greatest man they've ever known. Right? That means more to me than any amount of money. Unless it's like a lot, like, unless it's like $10 billion, then that is a lot of money. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. $20 billion. Uh, no, I'm kidding. That means more to me. There's one more left. It's the 80. But I don't have time to talk about that today. So in two weeks, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about how you spend your money. We're going to talk about the curse of trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're going to talk about debt. We're going to talk about your credit cards. I want you to bring a pair of scissors in two weeks' time. Because <laughs> for the altar call, we're all going to cut our credit cards. No, 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 we're not. <laughs> uh, now, we're going to talk all about that in a couple of weeks. But I really want to encourage you at the end of the day, listen, I know today's been pretty practical and I hope you took some notes today and I hope this creates discussion. If you're married in, in a couple of weeks time, we're going to talk about finances for married people, that your finances shouldn't be separate if you're married, it should be together. And we're going to talk about it. And so today, this is what I want to encourage you. If you're married, I want you to have a conversation today, tomorrow, look at your budget. 
This is, this is the question I want you to ask. If you're single, I want you to go away. Look at your budget. This is the question. Is the way I spend my money, does it reflect someone who was sold out for Jesus? That's a great question that you can answer. I'm not going to answer it for you. You can answer it. I could answer it for you. If we went through your bank statement, I'll tell you. Pretty easy to tell you, actually. But is the way that I spend my money, does it reflect someone that is sold out to Jesus, that knows the Word of God, and it follows the principles found in the Word of God? How you spend your money matters because someone's eternity could be on the line. You know, the fact that we have such generous people in our church, and always since the beginning of our church, we've always had generous people, not rich people, generous people. We just had people of every class in our church giving sacrificially. And because of the size of our church and the fact that we don't have a building, we, we rent this, this room. It's, it's uh, I think, the largest room in Ortigas that we can actually rent without a pillar in it. It's a great, great room. And because of the generosity of people, we're able to rent this room. We're able to have cameras. And there's, right now, two really good-looking people on the cameras uh, that are filming me right now. GPK! That are filming me right now. That's GBK. He's single. And he's open to all ethnicities. Um, and so we, we have a camera that we film. And this isn't just a filming so that the people in the back can see me. Oh, my hair's not very good today. So. Um, it's not just so the people in the back can see. It's because people watch online. And people have gotten saved, have found Jesus by watching what we do online. Because of your generosity, it means we can rent this room. And it means you can bring your friends. And, and it means that they can hear probably the most important thing I ever say, which is this, is that Jesus loved you and I so much. Remember, he's not after your money. He's after your heart. He loved you and I so much that to prove how much he was after your heart, he willingly went to a cross 2,000 years ago and died just in case you would hear his story. He died on that cross because we all have sin in our lives, and that sin separates us from the Father. The Bible is very clear. And the only way for us to actually come into a relationship with the Father is for a price to be paid for that sin. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals. But in the New Testament, Jesus came along. That's why maybe you've heard this phrase, but some people call Jesus the Lamb of God because he went like a lamb to be slaughtered. And when he went up on that cross, he took all our sin upon himself, the sin from the past, the present, and the future. He took it upon himself, but he didn't just die on the cross, and that was the end of the story. Come on. How many of y'all are grateful for Sunday, that Sunday he rose from the grave? He didn't just take our sin. He broke the power of sin over us. And now all we have to do is come and come before God and the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And I know sometimes that just rolls off the tongue very quickly. Confess in your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. No, no, no. That means a confession that would say, I believe that Jesus is the only way to God. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. That there is no other way. There is no other religion. There is no other God. I can't, I can't buy my way. It doesn't matter if I give gross or net. God does not care about that. All that matters is that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross for you and I. Maybe you're here today. You've never come to that realization before. You've never come to that point where you need to confess your sin before God. Ask him to forgive you. Come and live in your life. Maybe you did this a long, long time ago, but you've walked away from God. Maybe you're in this room or maybe you're watching online. I want to give every person a chance, an opportunity to respond to Jesus today. Can we just bow our heads, close our eyes? If you're watching or listening, you can do the same thing. You can do whatever you want, wherever you're listening from. What matters is that God is seeing you and seeing your heart. You're saying, James, that's me. I'm, I'm that first person. I've never, ever done this before. Or you're saying, James, I'm that second person. I did this a long time ago, but I walked away. If that's you on the count of three. I'd love you to lift your hands nice and high, and I want to pray for you right where you sit today. I believe the greatest miracle of all will happen in response to the greatest gift of all, which was God giving us Jesus. So if that's you on the count of three, I want you to lift your hands. One, two, three, right now, all in this room. Thank you. Hands here in the front, here on the side, up in the back, up in the back corner again. 
Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. In the middle, in the back. Thank you, Lord. Here in the middle as well. If you're online, you can just lift your hand. God sees it. That's what matters. If you put your hand up, I'd love you to put your hand on your heart right now. If you lifted your hand, we're all going to pray this prayer together. And it's a simple prayer just reflecting what I already mentioned the Apostle Paul said. I want you to say this prayer to me and really mean it. We're all going to say it together as a family. Online, you join with us as well. Say this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. And I ask you to forgive my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross. For defeating the power of sin. Today, I pray, break it off my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give God praise for every person?